Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, how to get 20, 20, 20, how to get 20, 20, to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So, Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Welcome to Right Lane, a podcast of the Tampa Bay Times. Each week, Times reporter Lane DeGregory discusses her stories and answers your questions. The focus is on craft. My name is Maria Crillo, and I'm the Enterprise Editor at the Times. Today's topic, telling details. This podcast was inspired by our old friend, Karen Weintraub. Lane and I worked with Karen at the Virginian Pilot years ago, and we bonded as journalists and mommies. Karen moved north to Boston and ultimately became a successful freelance health writer and journalism professor. She recently took a job at USA Today covering patient safety. She asked if we'd done an episode on details, the right details. And while we've talked about it here and there, we hadn't devoted an episode to the subject. So here goes. Collecting details is particularly important in narrative work, of course, where the right detail can make all the difference. I thought we'd start with Lane talking a little bit about transitioning to narrative work and and learning to report differently. And you end up sweeping the scene and trying to look for these moments. So can you talk a little bit about that? Well, yeah, that was mostly through you, Maria. So I've been a news reporter for about 10 years, covering two or three stories a day, covering meetings and hurricanes and surfing contests and murder trials and everything they throw at you in the moment for the next day's paper. And then when Maria started a narrative team at the Virginian Pilot in 1998, we not only were given more time to think about and report these stories, but also a little bit more space. So I feel like the shift became greatly from being someone sharing information versus someone telling a story, you know, and and it was a big shift, not only in how I saw myself um, as a writer or what my job had become, but also how do you get that? Because I was just really used to reporting for information. How much is your tax increase going to be? How many pounds of mackerel can you catch this year? You know, whatever these numbers were. And not even paying attention to, you know, I'm in a room full of commercial fishermen fighting the, the catch limits and they all smell like the sea. You know, I was not thinking about putting down details like that or including them in my story. So maybe one of the more simple but uh, illustrative thoughts was just use sensory details. You know, when you're out in the field, you're not just writing down what you see or what you hear. You're writing down what you smell and, and what the air feels like. And, you know, what what you taste. Taste is such a huge, giant uh, sensory detail that's so transportive. So making yourself think about things like that. And also thinking cinematically, where you're visualizing it almost like a movie. You want to take, you're not telling readers what happened. You want to take them with you on the ride, you know, so you're noticing things like the color of the sky or the cloud pattern or the breeze or other bystanders who might be watching you as you do something or other, you know, so the reporting becomes so much more 360 degrees instead of laser focus on what you need. And it's just like shooting a, you know, a panoramic camera around things for at least for at the beginning for me. And and then the opposite, you know, zooming in as tightly as you can to, to get the most specific detail possible. So the first piece of advice was like we were, we were rattling off some uh, as we were getting ready for this podcast, thinking about things. And one of the things that Lane just talked about, too. So noting your personal observations, which is not something that I think reporters necessarily grow up thinking that that's what they part of their job. But 
that now has become second nature for you. So you're thinking not just what is someone saying to me, but putting them in that context and also, yeah, what kind of cologne are they wearing? Like you said, are your fingers manicured? Do they use their hands when they talk? Is there a catchphrase? Do they have a tattoo? You always look for tattoos, right? Um, Because it may be telling, but it may not be. It just depends, right? It may be embarrassing. I don't know. Yeah. Yeah. So what what are you seeing and hearing and smelling and all of that, right? And because you're right, I had the same when I was a young reporter, I never picked up those. I mean, I noticed them when sometimes when I was somewhere, but I never necessarily put them in the story. I mean, even like covering meetings and things like that, where, you know, there could be a, a different crowd on a certain night or something different about what's going on, not just taking note of it, but not necessarily putting it in your story, right? Yeah, they, I used to cover the Dare County Commissioners on the Outer Banks of North Carolina, and there was this commissioner who was like legit six foot ten, named Mac Midget. No he, way, Commissioner Midget was like the biggest man I ever saw, and he would fall asleep in every commission meeting. He he was a commercial fisherman. He was up at dawn. He worked his ass off, but every commission meeting he fell asleep. And I covered this for like two and a half years, and I never wrote that because I never thought like, oh, that's germane to whatever they're talking about as a, a county commission. That would have been a great story, you know what I mean? And I missed all that because I was thinking about getting the information, not only that the readers need, but what's my editor going to want from me, you know? Now I know if I came back and said, oh my God, Mr. Midget fell asleep again, you'd be like, hooray, you know, there's your lead. You not know? only that, a six, how tall is he? Right. <laughs> he was almost seven feet tall, Mr. Midget, yep. But yeah, so, so I think, you know, also learning to write down the things that people don't say or that don't happen. You know, when you ask someone a question and they just clam up or they shuffle their feet or they cross their arms or they like look askance. I never would have written down stuff like that before. But now I'm like, okay, that says something that they, you know, why don't they want to answer that question? Why did they get mad when I asked that question? Why did they drift off into some other kind of strange tangent, you know, and then have to bring them back. So I think I pay attention to that stuff a lot more than like what's in front of me and and what am I going to need to regurgitate from my notebook. And and back to one of the things you said about um, your own impressions. It is important sometimes to write things down like, is that dude lying to me, you know, or why does she seem so sicky sweet at that moment and, and make yourself remember what's in your own head at that moment. You don't have to interrupt the person, right? And maybe it doesn't mean anything, but if you're noticing something, it's often worth going back to. An easy piece of advice is to get everything, write everything down. You want the name of the dog, you want the brand of the beer, you want the kind of cigarette, you want to know how they take their coffee. As an editor, I would tell you, I don't want them all. Please <laughs> don't put them all in the in the story, but you want to come back feeling like you can, you know, you can build a good scene or you can take us to a particular moment or, and, and really feel like you're there. And there's a difference between a guy who drinks Paps Blue Ribbon and a guy who, you know, only drinks Heineken. And what does it say about the person that you're writing about? It may say a lot. It may not say anything at all, but grab it, go, you know, make sure that you're getting all those details. And, And things on the wall, you know, that's the other thing, like, writing down what people display in their home, whether it's family pictures or little kids artwork or something that they framed that means something to them. I think I always ask people, can you take me on a tour of your house or at worst case your office, but you can find really telling things about people in terms of what they value enough to want to look at every day, you know, what's on their bookshelf, you know, I used to ask in your CD, but now it's like, okay, what, what's in your Apple iTunes, you know, but like knowing those things about people, like you said, sometimes it, it really does make a difference. And sometimes you're just like, huh, interesting. And you move on. Another piece of advice we're calling what's in your wallet. Uh, <laughs> so you want them to 
show you what's in their backpack or, you know, have them show you all their cell phone pictures, right? Um, and you were going to talk about the bus couple. Oh, yeah. We followed this one cute pie little teenage couple who'd like fled Wisconsin in the winter, pulled their earnings from Wendy's and bought bus tickets to Florida. They'd never seen Florida. And the little girl was like, I think she was 17. I know she was not 18 yet. She had like a little Hello Kitty backpack. And that's what she'd like fled her entire life with. You know, it was this little tiny little girl pink backpack. And she had like one pair of socks. She didn't have a bathing suit. She hadn't brought any coats or jackets because she knew it was not going to be cold in Florida. But she brought a picture of her mom, you know. And here's this little girl who ran away from home. Any classic rock song, 17 years old, she leaves home. But she wanted to bring her mom with her. And I just thought... That was such a sweet telling detail. And like four colors of nail polish. You know, like, what's this little girl all about? What's important to her? And it was all right there in this little Hello Kitty bag. And did all that make it into the story? I don't remember. I think it did. Okay. I think it did, yeah. <laughs> she um she was embarrassed she had a picture of her mom. And her boyfriend was like, oh, just show her. It's fine, you know. So that tension was kind of interesting, too. Uh, which, you know, it's funny because it seems like an obvious thing that you would ask about. But I could see people being reluctant maybe to get somebody to, you know, show me your stuff. I mean, you know, so how'd you bring that up? I usually just apologize. I'll usually say something like, (laughs) I am so sorry. I'm really nosy. I want to know, like, when you leave Wisconsin and you only bring your backpack, like, what's in that? I've done a bazillion stories about homeless people over the years. And my favorite one ever was like, what do you carry with you when you have everything you own in a grocery cart, you know, or a, a, a knapsack? What's important enough to keep? And I think, Whatever demographic you are, those are interesting questions to ask for sure. And, you you know, you were talking about looking at what's on people's walls and sort of their environment because you're looking for the thing that really illustrates something about them. Like if you're if you're going to end up making some sort of point and you can see, you know, what's important to them by looking around, it could come into play. It might not, but you're trying to see how it ties in, right, to who they are. Right. Yeah. If you're going to a grandmother's house and there's not one single picture of her grandkids in the house... You kind of know what kind of an idea of a grandmother this person is, you know. Um, I think I was telling you this one story. Karen, shout out to you again. You, I know you like this story about the cheerleader boy. I wrote this story about a boy, high school boy, who got kicked off a cheerleading team. And I thought that the story was about the boy. The mom had filed this lawsuit against the school board to reinstate her cheerleader boy son. And so I went to their home, really beautiful home north of Tampa, to interview the boy. And the mom kind of completely took over the interview. She was very um, overbearing. And so I asked, can you take me on a tour of your house? You know, and instead of like going to the boy's bedroom, she went up this grand staircase and there was this huge, I mean, like six foot glass custom made case around a little tutu and a little like rhinestone tiara. And I was like, hmm, what is that? Like the grand centerpiece of your whole home. And she was like, oh, I was little Miss Brandon when I was four. And I'm like, okay, all right. Now all of a sudden I know that one moment, it was like, the story is not about the boy. It is about the mom and about little Miss Brandon growing up to like groom the next cheerleader boy, whatever. I don't know. But if I hadn't seen the tutu, no way would I have ever thought to go, were you a little Miss Brandon? <laughs> you know what I mean? So that sometimes you, you suck up things in your vacuuming that you don't know you're going to get. And all of a sudden, it, it that one detail changes the course of your story. I love the cheerleader boy. Poor kid. <laughs> but that, so, so that's what we're talking about, right? That, like you just never know. And, and, and you wouldn't have thought to ask that, have no idea. And then it inspires something and it makes the connection and it actually brings your point home. And um, 
I, I think that's a great lesson, too, of just walking around people's houses. I, I remember the story, I think Chip Scanlon always references the story about a family who um, lost a daughter to Ted Bundy and how they always kept the porch light on. And there was a piece of tape on the on the porch light um, so that nobody would flip it off accidentally. And the reporter happened to ask, well, what's that about? And that's suddenly this moment that becomes such an important detail. Um, but you don't know. You just have no idea until you're you're sort of just trying to take it all in. Yeah, I remember doing one of those like uh, reporting exercises at a, a journalism conference one time where they pair you up with somebody you don't know and you're supposed to just interview them for five minutes. And this very handsome 30-something-year-old man had a ring on a chain on his neck. And so we were interviewing about whatever and I finally goes, oh, whose ring is that or what is that all about? He said, oh, I've lost 150 pounds in the last two years. I never would have thought to say, like, what's your journey been about that? You know, he was a whole new person. He lost half himself. And I just asked about the what he's wearing on his chain, you know. So suddenly the ring matters. I mean, the Absolutely. ring, yeah. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, ready to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. You talk a lot about, you know, to get to some of these details, you, you like three levels of questions. So let's let's talk about cereal. How about <laughs> <laughs> this? Actually, this was one of my favorite stories. And it was one, I think maybe the second story you ever sent me on when I started to try to write narratives instead of news and was the best lesson ever for a young narrative reporter. I embedded <laughs> with the publisher's clearinghouse van as it was driving at daybreak through this little neighborhood in Virginia Beach. And Publishers Clearinghouse, for you guys who don't know, they, they, it's a magazine subscription service, but they give a check for a million dollars to a random person who bought a magazine from them. And so I'm in the van with these people, and they have the giant check, and we go, we knock on this lady's door, and she comes to the door in her bathrobe. Well, you know, Mrs. McGillicuddy, you just won a million dollars. And she's like, yay, that's great, you know. I write that scene. I stay behind. I, I note her bathrobe and what color it is. You know, I note that she's obviously, like, got her hair up in a shower cappy thing. So I remember asking her, like, what were you doing when they knocked on your door? Because I wanted to back up, you know, like we were talking about. Sometimes you back up from that moment of excitement to recreate what came before it. So I said, what were you doing when they knocked on your door? And she was like, oh, I was eating breakfast. I said, okay, cool. I could have just wrote it like that. You know, she was eating breakfast when she won a million dollars. I said, what were you eating? She goes, oh, I was eating cereal. And that would have been fine, too. That's kind of boring. You know, she's, it's like every man is eating cereal. But I, I thought to ask her what brand of cereal. I was just genuinely curious. I wasn't really being a great reporter. I was just like, and she said, Lucky Charms. And I just, that was the greatest gift ever. She's eating Lucky Charms when she wins a million dollars. You know, I mean, I would have been happy with Golden Grams, but it just became <laughs> this lesson of like, <laughs> you know, ask that third level question because it does, the brand does matter. Right. You know, if right. if she's eating Kashi granola you know something different about her but the lucky charms was so perfect that's always stuck in my head but i love that piece of advice that the three levels of question because i think sometimes people don't even know what you're looking for they may not have put the two and two together you know right. she might oh you know she didn't come at you with oh you know what i oh i was eating lucky charms this morning you know it's like 
Maybe, I mean, I'm sure afterwards she then she goes, oh, wow. But sometimes people don't know. And if you keep asking, it, like you said, it might have it might have led you down a path where we wouldn't have included it, but you ended up with something good. Yeah, so. you never know. That's the thing, right? You never know. And then sometimes the detail, you might collect it and you might not realize until later that it's important, right? But so we were going to talk about the Barbara Burns example of the dog. Yeah, I mean, sometimes you, you get a, a detail and you write it down and it, it doesn't even register with you. But then if you think to come back to it, always ask what it means. Maybe it doesn't mean anything. Maybe the person just, my friend just got a tattoo to cover up another tattoo. So like the new tattoo doesn't mean anything except for then what's under that tattoo. You know, so, so sometimes you, you got to ask backwards like that. But the Barbara Burns story we were talking about was um, a murder story I, I was I wrote a few years ago and when I first went to knock on the little mobile home there was these two sisters in their um, 50s one in their 40s and one in their 50s and when I went to knock on the door you know we went and talked to some of the neighbors and the first thing one of the neighbors said was oh there was a little dog in there um, like a little yappy terrier type of dog that we heard all the time and oh my god those sisters love that dog so okay they had a dog I'm a total dog lover that stuck in my head that there was a little dog Part of me just was like, what happened to the dog? Because the story ended up being one sister killed the other sister and left her in the bed and lived in the house with her for like six weeks while her body rotted and she put like candles and air fresheners <laughs> around her. So I spent like a month reporting this story, got to go and interview the woman who had been apprehended since then. She's in jail. So I got to interview the murderer in jail and she's telling me about her sister and she's telling about their awful life together and... At the end of the interview, I don't know where it came from. I just thought to go like, well, whatever happened to your dog? And there was the first time in the whole interview that she teared up. You know, that she didn't tear up talking about her dead sister. She didn't tear up talking about her dead brother. She didn't tear up talking about her really hard life or being caught by the police or being homeless while she was on the lam. It was like the thought of the little dog was what got her emotional. And... um she said, oh, before I took the bus, I, you know, she dumped her car, took the bus, did this getaway thing. She said, I took him to a shelter. I should have hoped somebody wonderful picked him up. He was a wonderful little dog. I, I just couldn't leave him in that house to die. And I was like, oh, my goodness. Like, here's this woman who, like, lived with, killed her sister and lived with her dead body for six weeks. And she couldn't leave this little dog in the house to die. And so I thought the story kind of opened and ended with the dog. And I didn't know at the beginning when the neighbors said that they would have anything to do with anything, but it showed this like amazing compassion in this murderous, you know, <laughs> and, and it, it embodied in this little animal that everybody can relate to loving. So the, uh, of course, as the editor, I, I wanted to end this episode talking about when you use these, de I mean, how, how to be choosy about these details, right? Because I think people fall in love with some of their details. And then I'll ask a question of like, what is this supposed to mean to me? And I, it doesn't come across necessarily. So, I mean, just some things to consider, like, is it a memorable detail? I mean, Lane and I can sit here we've been in the business a long time and I know she can and I can too. I can remember little details from stories over the course of 35 years that still stick with me. And the fact that they do tells me that they were really important to add to the story. But as you're fighting for a detail to get in a story, um, you're having this debate with your editor, is it something memorable? Is it gonna stick with you? Another thing, and we talked about this a little bit, but what is it really saying about the person or place? What is it giving you really? You have to be thinking about those kind of things, not just tossing them in because it's a cool detail, but is it serving a purpose, right? And then I think also, you know, is it germane to the moment you're describing, to something you're describing? And 
That's where you were going to talk about the car seat in the getaway car. Yeah, Maria always gives reporters a hard time if they go, it was a white Chevrolet Malibu, you know. It's like, but does that matter? And plus, if it's, the more ordinary it is, the less it matters usually, unless you're like... Do you know how many times I've cut out the color of the car or the make <laughs> of the car? Because some reporters telling me how, I was like, oh, it's a Ford 150. Do I care? It's a truck. <laughs> I mean, like, if it's a story about a car guy who's obsessed with cars, maybe it matters. But, you know, yes. But anyway, I digress. Right. Or if it's like the only purple scion, you know. In right, right. There, well, but... you, know um, you know, we did a, a story years ago uh, on a Pinto that was a classic. And the Virginia had labeled it a classic, you know. And for those who don't remember, Pintos used to blow up when you got hit from behind. They, they were not a classic car. But who the hell drives a Pinto, right? Yeah, okay, now it matters. Um, but yes, okay. <laughs> Sorry, I digress. <laughs> we were talking about that, and I said, well, sometimes it's not like what the car is from the outside. It's what's inside the car, you know? And you can always get, like, evidence photos of inside of vehicles and things like that from the police. They always take those tedious, awful series of photos, but they are so telling. Like, so there was this one story in Tampa where a couple, a young couple, shot a cop and was in this getaway car. And it was like a little, I don't know, Volkswagen Rabbit or something nondescript. But when they took the car into the impoundment lot and they took evidence photos of it, there was a car seat in the back seat and there was like a little pink sippy cup and like a little stuffed rabbit or something on the seat. And so then you realize like there was a child in this car. This was a child's car and come to find out they had just dropped their two-year-old off at daycare. So I still remember like the, the sippy cup in the back of the getaway car was like really kind of profound to me about how these people lived their lives and who they were. When the John Johnchuk story I did about the guy who dropped his little girl off the bridge, there was photo evidence of all the stuff in the trunk. It was like right after Christmas and all of Phoebe's Christmas presents were in the trunk. So I could just like blow up in the trunk and find out what she'd gotten from Santa Claus. There was a Bible on the floor and it was open to a certain verse. And when I had the photographer like zoom, zoom, zoom in on the Bible verse and read the Bible verse, it was about going back to your maker and going back to a watery grave. And it was just so profound and creepy, you know, but those details were all right there in the evidence photos. You just have to like know to look for them and look deeper and deeper. Not just there was a Bible, but it was open to Ecclesiastics and not just Ecclesiastics, but what verse was it, you know? So again, that third layer of details. All right. If you have a question for Lane or want to suggest a podcast topic, find us on our Facebook group. And thank you, Karen. We love you. Thanks for uh, giving us this idea. Or email it to writelane at tampabay.com. That's W-R-I-T-E-L-A-N-E at tampabay.com. Join us next week on Wednesday morning for the next podcast. This podcast was produced by Austin Fast. Music was composed and performed by Dan DeGregory. Thanks for listening. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns.